0: Welcome to the Wolf Whistle, the podcast that interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club, Wolverhampton Wanderers.
1: Welcome to the Wolf Whistle. Welcome to the 41st edition of the Wolf Whistle podcast, the podcast that interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club. I want to firstly thank everybody who subscribed to the podcast, which is available on all of the major providers. We've now reached over 31,000 downloads, so thank you for your continued support. Today's interviewee is Ding Dong Norman Bell, 100 appearances for the Wolves and 24 goals between 1975 and 1981. Norman, how are you?
0: Great thanks Jason Yeah yeah. You know this will be the biggest crowd I've ever performed in front of 31,000 <laughs> <That's, laughs>
1: Hey, ex- Not bad going is it Hey exactly that Norman Exactly that I mean Yeah I mean Norman You know obviously I've met you at a few of the dudes before And you know I, I did want to speak to you about your story um, Yeah Yeah uh, you, you, so I'll, I'll give the the years between uh, seventy five and eighty one. But actually, you becoming a apprentice at, at nineteen seventy one in Wolves. She was at the club for actually ten years. But I want to know where it all started. Back in sunny Sunderland uh, mm-hmm. in nineteen fifty five, your junior football and and how Wolf spotted you.
0: Right. Um, well, I mean, football was always in my blood. It was in the family and. Uh, from a very early age my father always said oh yeah he's going to be a he's going to be a big bustling center forward and uh, uh, that's just stuck in my mind that, that's what I always wanted to be and um, in terms of junior football uh, I was relatively successful and played for my uh, local town team um, but I played as a youngster for a for a team called Hilton Colley Welfare Juniors a local under 18s team yeah And uh, I was probably only fifteen playing in that league. But uh, the left back in that team was a lad called Alan Niven. Right. And uh, Alan was picked up by Wolves, and uh, was a year older than me, and went down to to Wolves as an apprentice. But while the scouts were watching him, uh, they'd look at me as well. So it was pretty much that was the first contact. Um, I used to train every every school holiday. I used to train with Sunderland. And I think there's about half a dozen of my town team actually joined that uh, joined the club. I think it was assumed that I would go there as well. So um, you know, going to Wolves was so much different and so much uh, so much better looked after. Yeah, uh, they showed an interest. Um, so the the two players that didn't sign for for Sunderland was my best mate who lived next door to me in a, in a little village called Castletown. He went to Arsenal right? and I went to Wolves and we were the only two that really uh, came through from from that group, you know.
1: Wow. And so you, you became an apprentice at Wolves uh, yeah. in 1971. By my maths, uh, that would have made you 16. You then turned professional in 1973 after a, a successful apprenticeship and you made your debut for Wolves. Uh, on September the 23rd, 1975, in a nil-nil draw with Aston Villa. Now, right, yeah. I, I, I mean, Norman, I'm, I'm bringing back some memories for you now. I mean, I'm looking through the team that day and mm. Frank Munro, Mike Bailey, mm. John McCall, yeah. Dave Wagstaff, Derek Parking, Kenny Hibbitt. I mean, what what was that team like to play in Norman with these players? Well,
0: they're, they're all Wolves Wolf legends, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I mean, going, going back to those days, Jason, I, I look at it and I think, right, the team shit used to go up and I used to look for the reserves, am I in the reserves? Yeah. Because the, the first thing picked itself, it just it just tripped off the tongue. It was the Parks, Palmer Park, and Bailey, Monroe, McCall, uh, Richard Stugan, Wagstaff, and, you know, uh, Kenny Hibbett. Wow. It just picked itself, it was amazing. And, uh I mean, thinking back, the amount of strikers that we had through the club or in the club during that time. Yeah. Uh, when I when I went to the club, there was people like Huey Curran, Jim McCalliog, Dugan Richards, uh, Peter Eastow. Um, then we signed Peter With. Yes. Who was uh, destined, well, the design was that he would replace Dugan, um, Bobby Gould.
1: Yeah, Bobby. Uh,
0: Brought Billy Rafferty, Stevie Kindon. And, you know, it just seemed as though they was always bring in a strike and there would always would never be a, a route through. So, to actually break into the team at, at that time, to me, was massive, especially in a, in a game where we had a full house. Yeah. You know, joking aside, I mean, we did actually top the 31,000, I think, for that game.
1: Wow. <laughs> and, and, and,
0: so disappointing that it was a nil-nil but it was still a, a terrific introduction and uh, to have played in that team was was it was that the culmination of everything i'd dreamed of you know that was that was it i'd done it
1: and 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 to wait four years for you know you, you like you said you come down from sunderland as a, as a starry-eyed 16 year old it's four yeah. years you know two years hard work as an apprenticeship you, you turn pro and, and you're still waiting then another two years for your debut i mean yeah. Uh, you know it was there nerves before the game was you excited I mean you know what was it yeah,
0: I think it was excitement yeah I mean it was uh, it wasn't as I had a lot of time to prepare for it cause it was sort of dropped on me the day before you're playing tomorrow you know um, so I didn't have a lot of time to get too nervous about, it, but the, the excitement, just the thought that I was going to actually go out and play in front of a big crowd, that was the buzz for me. You know, just to get out and. and yes. I don't know how to cope nowadays with the the empty grounds, you know, for this season. But uh, oh yeah. Uh, it just it was just so different to go out in front of a big crowd, uh, and the experience was amazing because if you're if you're at a football ground, you're sat in a particular part of the ground and. Uh, obviously, the noise around you is the thing you notice most. When I first stepped onto the pitch, the noise sort of reverberating around that ground. And I love that ground. I mean, the old the old Molyneux, I used to yeah. absolutely love it. That uh, The Molyneux Street stand, you know, and the, the South Bank and North Bank. Terrific. And the sound sort of reverberates around you. You hear sort of a wave of sound coming from each area. Yeah. And it just sort of washes over you and it just gives you that buzz, you know. Um, I absolutely loved it.
1: Brilliant. And I wanted,
0: I wanted more. I mean, that was the thing. You know, I'd had a taste, and I wanted it then.
1: Oh, of course. Now it was Bill McGarry gave you your debut. Now, mm. um, look, I've I spoke to um, a lot of former players on here. Like I said, you're the forty first today, and there's quite a few of these that, that have played under Bill McGarry. And I think he was yeah. chalk and cheese to a lot of a lot of the players. <laughs> I mean, what was your relationship like with Bill Norman?
0: Well. I can't. I can't say anything else other than it was terrific to me because he he signed me as an apprentice. Yeah. He signed me as a pro. Uh, he gave me my debut and money wise, he looked after me. We didn't have uh, we didn't have agents. Yeah. So when you knocked on his door, uh, boss, I'm 18 in a couple of weeks. Am I signing or not? Yeah. So I'm see Mister Robinson. He'll he'll sort the contract out. You know. And it was like 32 quid a week. Uh, so you get like I think it was 120 quid if you played in the first team as an appearance so to me right okay thank you very much you just thanked him and got on with it yeah Um, but as soon as I played in the first team he called me in the office and I thought oh cracking! I'm going to be in trouble and
1: he put my money up he put my
0: money up to I think it was a basic 120 quid straight away you know
1: and and, and, I mean if that was in 1975 uh, Norman if you don't mind me saying I mean you know I don't talk about um, money to the players that have played in the past 10 years. But when when you go back into the 70s and 80s, it's actually quite interesting. But the reality mm. is, earning over £100 a week in 1975 was decent money, wasn't it?
0: Well, I was actually 19 at that point. I mean, my birthday's in November, so I'm 19. My dad worked 47 years down the pits in the mines. Yeah. And he'd only just achieved £100 a week. So, you know, I think and this this is just a basic way so you can earn your bonuses on top of that.
1: Of course. So you're nineteen years of age and you're earning yeah. as much money as, as, as it took really your daddy's whole life to start. A earning.
0: lifetime to get to, yeah. Yeah, and he'd really worked for it. So that that's the way I looked at it, you know, and I always thought that no matter what I was earning, I was I was doing a fantastically uh Great job. Yeah. Uh, well, I wasn't doing a great job,
1: but <laughs> <I was laughs> you was, to play
0: football, but uh, but I, you know I was probably earning twenty quid a week more than most people, just kicking a bag of wind around a field, you know, and it doesn't get a lot better than that for me.
1: Wow. Uh, and we, we look at that team, um, and we've mentioned a few of the players, Ie like Frank Monroe and and, and the, the barrel chested Mike Bailey. What were these? Yeah. What were these play? You know, I know what great players they were, but what sort of men were as as well, Norman?
0: Well, I mean, they're all absolute heroes to me. Dugan obviously was a big name when I went there, and I loved Derek. And I used to clean uh, Dugan, uh, Frank Monroe, and Derek Park, and I used to clean their boots.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And uh, so I'd get to know them that way. That was, the, that was my first introduction to the first team dressing room, which is, you know, you start off life as a, an apprentice and a young pro in the in the away dressing room, and you work your way up into the, Once you got into the, the first team dressing room, you pretty much made it. But to be in there with all these lads was was absolutely fantastic i used to jerry o'hara you mentioned jerry yeah. and uh, myself used to babysit for frank monroe these lads went on a saturday night so we'd spend a lot of time with frank waggy um Park, and was a big pal of mine and uh john mccall um you know and big lofty as well i mean he's an absolute legend isn't he yeah um so there's so many characters in there but frank would we used to go for our lunch at the Molyneux hotel and Frank would come up there and play pool, so I'd have a, a, a first teamer, uh, uh, you know, a big hitter like Frank spend time with you, uh, oh. it was absolutely terrific. Oh, I mean, just, just yeah. lovely people, absolutely lovely people.
1: Now, uh, sadly, you, you, your first season um, ended <clears> in relegation. I mean, you scored five goals, which which is a great return, to be honest, for for a young man. Uh, but but the first season ended in relegation. How how disappointing and difficult was that to take after just breaking into the team, Norman? it really
0: hurt uh, massively I, I, as you say I broke into the team and the games I played I don't think we did too badly results wise but uh, overall that year we struggled um, it was it was one of those situations where, where everybody said oh yeah you're too good to go down yeah um, well you can never say that can you no uh, we did go down the um, story of my career really is a catalogue of injuries so we had um I think yeah, it was an end of season tour to Gibraltar. Yeah, and in uh, fact, we, G- Jerry yeah.
1: O'Hara. Uh, sorry for putting in Norman. Jerry O'Hara yes. did ask me to ask you this story. He said, "Ask, ask Norman what <laughs> happened in Gibraltar." Jerry's obviously an ex-Wolves player who we've <laughs> also had on the podcast, but he did say, "Ask Norman about Gibraltar."
0: All right, okay. Well, I know where you're going here with this one. You ask Jerry, and he'll give you a different story. But the story is: um, as young lads, we were told. Uh, it was a curfew. This is the end of the season, not the beginning of the season.
1: So it always starts we... <laughs> like this, doesn't it, Norman? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's qualify it first. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we're told, stay where you are. And the hotel we were staying was the Rock Hotel in Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're actually staying there with Blackburn Rovers, believe it or not. Right. So, it was when Jim Smith was manager of Blackburn. And um, his assistant was a guy called Norman Bedell, who had been our... Reserve team manager. Yes, Ooh, that's so right, yeah. Well, yeah, so we're to Norman and uh, Jim Smith, absolutely legend of a man. And uh, of course, we decided after a couple of drinks, we're, we're not going to stay in the hotel, so we're going to sneak out. And uh, yeah, we did. sneaked out, went around the bars, around the harbour and whatever. And just, when we went back to the hotel, Jim Smith, Norman Burdell, Sammy Chung, were all, and Brian Owen they're all sat in the reception area having a drink. There. Oh my God. So we couldn't get in. So we went around the back of the hotel and I said it's the Rock Hotel and it literally is on the rock. So we're trying to climb around the back of this massive drop to a conservatory, which was the kitchen, uh, which in all honesty, Jane, was certain death if if we'd slipped. And we're slipping and sliding down a mountain, absolutely (laughs) bladded. And somehow managed to get back in the hotel and I'm pretty sure that's the story Jerry's trying to trying to get me to say uh, how we survived that I don't know talk about complete idiots Uh, we were complete idiots so yeah that was it it, it,
1: to be fair um, Norman these things you do when you're young and you know on, on social media now there's trials for the for the you know the current players that play, and it's quite difficult. And the good thing is, in, in those days, there wasn't social media, there wasn't camera phones. So to be fair, we don't get to hear these stories till 30, 40 years later. Whereas now, any players who get involved with anything like that, it's it's almost an instantaneous trial by the media.
0: Oh, it would be, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, the beauty of it those days, the uh, the, the local journalist whoever was the one assigned to cover the uh, the Wolves games they used to travel us on the team bus so you know they were one of the gang oh, and yeah. if you had a night out they'd often come with you and it was a case of right you know you put your pen and paper away you don't report and they, they never ever reported anything so they became trusted friends and you confided in them
1: yeah
0: um you know absolutely terrific it's, it's it would be it would be so much more difficult uh to try and try and have a, a life uh, nowadays, you've got to be so careful yes. because the first thing you do is you say it's reported, isn't it? And it's it's all over the news and it's it's big news. But in that in that
1: respect, it's a different game, isn't it? So it, a lot. actually, did Sammy Chung ever find out uh, about this um, about what happened in Gibraltar Norman? Uh, I would have thought not. He <laughs> <laughs> would <have> thought not because <laughs> uh, we stayed at the club. <laughs> now what what I find <clears throat> surprising Norman is uh, you, so you made your debut um in the 75-76 season yes we got Gate, you scored five goals now naturally you'd have thought um the following season 76-77 it effectively were in what was then the second division that have let this, yeah. this young man um you know loose on the division to 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 see what he could do but you strangely you didn't feature at all in that season now we got promoted once again how disappointing was that Norman
0: uh, it really hurt. Um, I mean, just going back to Gibraltar, we played. We got to the far, we, we won the competition in Gibraltar. We played Sheffield United in the final and beat them. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we beat them comfortably. And uh, I was enjoying the game, and uh, I was skipping past a big centre half called Eddie Coloon, who couldn't who couldn't cope with this red gra that we're playing on. And uh, this one time he decided that I wasn't going to go past him and he mm. took me out round about thigh high. Yeah. And as I tumbled over, I actually broke my wrist. It was a scaphoid scaphoid bone in my wrist. So come the new season, I still wasn't fit. Um, the team just picked itself that season because, oh, Alan Sunderland, another, another striker I hadn't mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Alan Sunderland was uh, the club. So um, the team... Picked itself, as I say, and, and won the second division comfortably. Um, so I was never called on, and I, I, I wasn't 100 percent sure that Sammy Chung thought a great deal of me. I think I, I think I was sub one game, uh, but didn't get on. Uh, but the next season, when we got promotion, um, when things started to struggle a little bit, then all of a sudden I was I was, uh, was of interest to him, so I started to get games again.
1: See. Um... You know, obviously we spoke about Bill McGarry. Sammy Chung come in after we got relegated. We, we, with Sammy, what was your relationship like with him?
0: Uh, completely different. I mean, Bill was an old-fashioned um, sort of Sergeant Major type manager. Yeah. And Sammy was an absolutely terrific coach. And he put on some uh, amazing sessions, you know, really enjoyable. We used to go back in the afternoon and do uh, finishing sessions with him, either up in the gym uh, or at the West Park sometimes we used to run down at West Park and um, that that side of the game was terrific when it came to managing the team I mean Sammy didn't have anything to do really in, in the first year because the, the squad was so strong yep. but when it came to changing things um, I think he, he basically tried to keep everybody happy um, so in other words he wasn't telling you the truth all the time Yes. so I just found him a little bit more difficult to work with in, in as a manager uh, as coach, brilliant, as a manager, not in the same street as Bill McGarry.
1: Wow. Um, and, and you mentioned obviously training over West Park, which to be honest, I've spoke to a lot of the former players and I know about the yeah. race course and down at Castlecroft, but I didn't actually know they'd done a bit of training on West Park, which is very interesting. So where, where, where were the different places that you used to train, Norman?
0: Well, West Park wasn't a regular training spot, but it was an afternoon if we were putting a session on and uh, give Lofty a workout, you know, go and and, uh, chip him and uh, let him chase you all around the park to kick you because you just lobbed him. Um, So, yeah, the the, the regular one in the early days was uh, at the race course, Dunsell Park. Yeah. Uh, I remember playing there on the hockey pitches in the snow, even, you know, we'd we'd get down, we'd take a coach down there and uh, have a good workout. the, the the pre-season training would often be at uh, Brockhall, running around the uh, the woods there and uh, oh, right, kind okay, yeah. chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then the latter years with uh, Barnwell Barker was uh, was more at Castlecroft. Yeah, uh, which in in my early years there was kept as a, sort of a show
1: pitch for the younger teams, you know. And who was your who was your best friend at the club, Norman? Who you know, who was the one that you know your close ally there?
0: um quite a few that were close i mean of my own age um there's a, a number of lads uh, yeah. but a lot of them didn't stay at the club i mean Jerry O'Hara being one of them who yeah, was great there. Luck, uh colin brazier came in a little bit after i'm um, very close to colin
1: yeah good news, uh, colin.
0: and mel Eves again a little bit after that um and of the older ones i mean Derek park and uh i I used to get on really well with Derek and Norma. We uh, we used to go to each other's houses for a, for a meal and a, and a drink. You know that was quite nice. Brilliant. Um. So, but I, I, there was nobody I didn't get on with. Um. But I wasn't part of the clique of the of the um the the old generation.
1: You know. Yeah. And and there was an old. Got. We. I want to come on to the 1980 League Cup final soon. But there was there was obviously still a, a bit of the old guard from the 73 74. Uh, League Cup victory, which, which yeah. was interesting, uh, Norman. In as much as you was at the club at the time, you just turned pro, so you was around the club. So we'll come on to that in a minute. But before that, um, when I, I announced on social media that we was going to interview you, all of a sudden all the Wolves supporters are regaling Norman Bell, ding dong, super sub. Um, <laughs> and I did a bit of research, um, and I, you know, I've, there's probably more than this, but. There was goals at uh, Forest in September 77, Southampton, uh, April 1980, Wrexham, where you scored a brace in February 81, uh, Borough, March 81. Uh, These were all games where you'd you'd come off the bench and scored, so you'd obviously got the label Super Sub. Uh, Right. Which (laughs) I suppose is a bit of a backhanded compliment because if you then are given the tag as being a bit of an impact player, if that gets into the manager's head... Then he thinks, well, maybe this player's better on the bench for me than he's starting. Um, yeah. It, 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 would you agree with that, Norman?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and that's the way it happened. Uh, I'll, I'll just quickly tell you the story of how it how it started. Really. Yeah. Um, I think I've already mentioned that uh, my my career was a series of injuries, and uh, um, I'd been out injured, and uh, I broke my leg playing a cup match, and then uh, when I got myself fit again. I managed to break the same leg again in uh-huh. a practice match before before the season started. So, uh, John Barnwell had been he'd been in need of a striker, he'd been short of a striker with me with me out. So, he managed to do a deal selling Steve Daly to Manchester City. Yeah. And then, with that money, buying Andy Gray. Yeah. So, his British, British record fee. So, Andy's come in and John Richards is going to play. Cause, I mean, John, we're not mentioning him, but what, a, what an absolutely terrific player. Oh. And King natural King. goal scorer, such a hard worker as well. A tough lad. I mean, absolutely tough as nails on the pitch. Yeah. Um, so they they're going to play, um, but Andy, similar to me, gets himself injured, and I managed to get in. And John Barnwell kept saying to me, "You keep playing like that, you'll always be playing. Don't worry, you're always be in the team." And so I kept playing like that, and I played. I can't remember how many games. I played quite a few games, and the FA Cup started. Must have been January, I suppose. January, it'd be round three at uh, Watford. Yeah. And the lad I mentioned, who was my neighbour from uh, from Castle Town, he was he'd moved on from uh, Arsenal. He was now captain at Watford. A lad called Wolf Rostron, So I'd agree with the boss that we'd go down there. My wife was coming down. We're going to stay the weekend after the game. Anyway, it comes to a pre-match meal on the Saturday, and he pulled me to one side. He says, "Right, he says." don't speak to me. He says, come and see me Monday morning. He says, uh, you're not going to like it. You're not playing. You're not on, not on the bench. I have to play Andy, which I'd been expecting for a while. So I was, you know, absolutely gutted with that. Yeah. So to cut that story down a little bit, we, we got a draw, played the return leg at Molyneux on the Tuesday night and uh, I was subbed. So uh, I don't think I even got on that game, but we beat them and that's that started the cup run and uh, started my run of um, substitute so
1: and it it's still a, it still must be a great feeling to come off the bench and score you know get a goal or grab two goals um you know it must be a great feeling Norman
0: absolutely I mean it's one of those things in that day there were 12 players involved in the first game yeah, on exactly. a match day. And if I was number 12, then, yeah, I'm quite happy with that. I'd rather start, but if I can't start, yeah, give me the number 12. Um, so I, I enjoyed enjoyed that time. It was, it was quite, a, quite a good period. Yeah, I remember uh, we played Albion as well, and um, I played the Albion quite a few times, and a good mate of mine, uh, Tony Brown, um, always seemed to get the upper hand. Yeah. But on this occasion, I came on a sub, and we actually won. Brilliant. So, you know... Yeah, That was nice. Right. Uh, we we got love to, a story we got when we beat Albion. the Albion. Sorry,
1: I said we love a story when we beat the Albion. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it was it was it was a good year. Really, it was strange strange thing that it uh, the 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 thing that sounds as though it's a bit of a downer uh, was was my best season. Yeah. So, yeah, I really enjoyed
1: it. Now, we have spoken about injuries, Norman. There was obviously one which was quite notable, which was versus Palace, fifth round of the FA Cup, the 78-79 season, where you broke your leg. Yeah. Um, once again, to, to, to get injured, I mean, you said about breaking your leg in a training game, which is awful, but to, to break your leg in a first-team game, especially <clears> when you're starting to score goals and you're getting in the team, and, and when you've been a fringe player, it must be so, so frustrating, Norman.
0: It was um it was very difficult uh i mean the start of that was a bit, a bit of a joke as well to be honest we, as you you mentioned we were playing crystal palace away
1: yeah
0: and i think we beat them 1-0 and john burridge was in goal for them Budgie. so yeah the budgie he uh, uh I, I did a shot from about 20 yards and he i i saw him save the shot and the impact Broke my leg. Happened after I'd seen him save the shot. So it was a bit of a late tackle. It wasn't even given as a free kick. Nobody even saw it.
1: So the keeper, um, had, already, the keeper had already... Well, John Burridge had already saved the shot. And then the tackle yes. came in by the time he'd saved the shot.
0: Yes. Oh, my
1: God. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. So
0: I was stretched off on the old uh, canvas and wood stretcher. With yes, but after them off. now. No, no. Taken to the hospital, the local hospital, where I was left overnight. Um and i got a junior doctor junior surgeon telling me that i got to get a meta plate put my leg in. I'm trying to explain to him i'm sat in my football kit and i'm trying to explain to him that i play football no, no 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 football no football and so i refused to have the operation yeah so they left me on a trolley all night uh-huh. and uh it was the middle of the next morning when sid kipping our bus driver along with kevin walters our physio
1: yeah actually sorry to Ke- interrupt norman kevin yeah. walters i believe was Julie Walters, uh, the the famous actress? It was her brother, wasn't it? That's right. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He used to tell us stories of, uh, of Julie when she was an aspiring actress living down in London. And,
1: oh, brilliant!
0: Um, yeah, really working hard to make it. Brilliant. Yeah but he was a lovely man he was so funny. Um so yeah they, they picked me up and uh, brought me <laughs> brought me back in the back of Kevin's car and Sid driving around Marble Arch and stop starting in the traffic oh my god horrendous. Ah. So yeah that that was fun. And and uh, yeah I was I was we, we got to the semi-final of the FA Cup that year as well and played Arsenal at Villa yes. Park. And that was my first game back to watch, and uh, I must admit it was so emotional because uh, Barnwell said to me, "Says come and sit on the bench with us." So I'm walking around the side of the pitch with my crutches, you know, and uh, I got a terrific reception from the Wolves fans. Uh, I'll never forget that. That was yeah. that was really brilliant.
1: Now, after that Palace injury, your first game back was uh, where you played was March the tenth, nineteen eighty. Uh, yeah. You scored in a 3-1 win, ironically, over Aston Villa again. It was actually the last game before uh, the 1980 League Cup final. Now, the reason I refer to that is because um, i spoke to you about this, uh, Norman, before. You, yeah. We, we, we spoke the fact that, yes, now that, that there's five, seven, nine subs on the bench. Um, yeah. Back when you played, there was only one. And yeah. Effectively, Colin Brazier was the substitute that day in the nineteen eighty League Cup final. But you was the thirteenth man. If if Colin or wasn't selected, or if if a player was injured, you was actually the thirteenth man. Now, I've spoke to Colin on the podcast, and 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 you know, Colin agrees his own look that the fact that he didn't get to come on, but it must be even harder being the thirteenth man, Norman.
0: Yeah, it was it was pretty tough, but. I could balance that one out because you've just said i'd only just come back i mean that that game beforehand was was my first game back so i didn't in my mind i didn't feel as i deserved to play but um it's amazing how things can work out and uh, small things make such a big difference as they say um the 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 game against villa on the tuesday before the cup final was a rearranged game yes I know, I know you know this story, but it was it was actually to get Andy Gray's one match ban out of the way to allow him to play in the in the cup final.
1: I mean, some of the but, listeners don't know that story, Norman. So please tell it because it is interesting.
0: Right, I will. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so the the Saturday, our our game on the Tuesday against Villa depended on Villa's result at West Ham in a cup match on the Saturday. Yeah. So they were playing an FA Cup tie against West Ham away. If they got a draw they were playing a replay on the Tuesday night and Andy Gray wouldn't have played in the cup final. Wow. At at about, and I could be wrong, at about 89 minutes, it's nil-nil and I'm listening to it on the radio. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh my God, I could be playing in the cup final next week. Oh. Oh, no.
1: So I
0: actually went for a walk around the garden (laughs) <laughs> and uh, got injured. The guy the guy who had bought the house off, who was a butcher was delivering it, he says, That was a bloody unlucky Norman, wasn't it? I says, I know, it's terrible, isn't it? I'm thinking, Oh poor Andy. And he says, Yeah, penalty in the last minute. What? Yeah, Ray Stewart, penalty in the last minute for West Ham. So so we play the game on the Tuesday and Andy scores the winner in the Cup final, which yeah. he deserved to do. But yeah. you know, for that fleeting moment, I'm thinking, I've got a
1: chance here. And and, so, yeah. and the reality is, Norman, either you'd have been starting or Colin may have started and and you'd have been the 12th man. But that's, you know, I always say this on every podcast that, that football is the flip of a coin sometimes and you get to a crossroads and is it left or right? And at that particular yeah. moment, you know, look, you don't begrudge Andy Gray, obviously, what he did in playing in the final. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh. Look, as a professional, you'd have loved to have played in that game, but Andy Gray went on to score the winner, justify his price tag, and the rest is history.
0: That's right, yeah, yeah, and and it, you know it was a couple of minutes away from uh, from that not
1: happening. Yeah, uh,
0: it's just amazing how things work out, you know.
1: But normally, yeah, you, I, you I you might have come on a sub. Good. You might have come on a sub and got the winner.
0: <laughs> that would have been that would have been spectacular. I would have enjoyed that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just yeah, never know. But...
0: Colin, I don't know what the manager would have told Colin, but Colin was selected as substitute because he was worried about Emlyn Hughes' fitness. Right, he he was concerned that Emlyn wouldn't get through the game, so he wanted Colin as sub so he could go on and uh, and replace him. You know that that was the that was the reason he gave to me. He didn't have to justify it to me, but Barnwell did actually tell me that.
1: And, and so, I think that's another frustration. We spoke to Colin Brazier on his podcast, and obviously he was classed as a utility man. And once again, if you're yeah. a utility man or a super sub, sometimes <laughs> it does hold you back a little bit. It does,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Colin, Colin had uh, a bit of a tough time with uh, selection. I mean, um, he he got similar to me you got a number of players to compete with um, George Berry Bob Hazel yep. that was after the, the sort of Frank Monroe time and John McCall was all the way through those years a uh, stalwart at the back for, for Wolves uh, brought in a lad called Derek Jefferson yeah um can't remember who else, but there was, you know, a number of players that were that were sort of there in front of him, and he had limited chances as well, Colin. But I think in the main he can look back and be proud of what he did at the time at the club.
1: Oh, uh, I don't think he
0: ever let them down, no matter what position they that put him in.
1: Uh, and you know, because she was at the club during the the the. Uh seventy three, seventy four League Cup final victory and, and the, uh, the the nineteen eighty. Was was you at the uh was you at the stake was you at Wembley for both games or for one of the games? Oh
0: yeah. Yeah, I was at uh, both games, yeah. Yeah, the bus bust us all down for the for the seventy three, seventy four one and Brilliant. we're all behind the royal box. Um, absolutely amazing. Yeah, fantastic game that one. Oh wow um, and then to be actually in the dressing room and on the pitch with the guys and uh uh, in the dugout you know the uh, the benches in front of the royal box uh, for the game uh, funnily enough um a guy that uh was pretty much brian Clough's right-hand man uh, a guy called jimmy gordon he was his trainer right he was a, a friend and former colleague of my uncle who played football for oh, okay. middle and um uh, i'd forgotten about this but uh, uh, at our get-together on march the 15th early this year Jason, yes yes uh, you- played the film and I saw Jimmy come up to me and shake my hand and I thought I forgot about that, and I thought how how lovely that was.
1: Oh wow that's lovely.
0: You should make that effort to do that so uh, yeah um, but that whole day was just fantastic you know and I think I think you're aware that I was tasked with a very important job that day as well.
1: Remind us of what it was Norman.
0: Well Mr. Parkin Wanted to look his best for the presentation, yeah. so he asked me if I'd keep all of his teeth and give it him after the game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you had to so, keep them in a little jar for him during the match. Oh, just in a hanky in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> See. The, the, the reality is, this wouldn't happen today. So, I mean, some of these stories, we, you know, oh, you, can you, you imagine? Can I mean, imagine? Can you imagine? Uh, you know, one of the substitutes at Walls Morgan Gibbs White having, um, re, you know, Ruben Neves false teeth in a hanky or you know, or, or even training over West Park and, and firing some shots at Patricio. It just uh, wouldn't happen, would it?
0: Those, no, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They wouldn't dream of doing it, would they? No, I mean, it's uh, you look at you look at the quality of the training grounds now. Um, They've all they've all got the academies yeah. and uh, several pitches to choose from. They have a like a pitch that's usually uh, the same as their home ground, so they can, they can do their workouts on there. It's um, it's a different world, isn't it? Oh, but completely. I, I don't think it can be anywhere near as enjoyable as when we played. Well, exactly. They're not having
1: these nights out in Gibraltar? The sorry, I said, not having these nights out in Gibraltar anymore. <laughs>
0: No, no, that wouldn't happen,
1: would it? I mean, we, we, we spoke about the managers, Bill McGarry, Sammy Chung, one you've alluded to and one who we've also had on the podcast and he was, uh, you know, an absolute gentleman. John Barnwell, what was your relationship like with John Norman? I like John.
0: Um he, I, To me, he came across as being an honest guy and... uh Apart from that one incident where I, where I told you that he, he promised me that if I kept playing well I would always be in the team, he was obviously yeah. under pressure. If you have got a guy sat on the bench who you just paid one one point four million for or whatever it is, yeah. you know, it was uh, an absolute superstar, you're going to want him in your team. Yes. So I don't, I don't begrudge that, but uh, to me, he was he was pretty much an honest guy. Um, looked after me. Um, at that point, he said, "Look, he said, I understand if you want if you want a transfer, I'll put you on the list. I don't want you to go, but and so I went on the list. I uh, just thought I needed to at that time to to go somewhere and actually be playing regularly. Yeah. Um, but he had he had his number two as well, Richie Barker.
1: Yeah, Johnny. What was it, uh, Johnny Barmer Where's the sheepskin, Richie Barker? Where's the Parker? <laughs> I think that was the song.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I, I didn't know that one, but yeah, it sounds <laughs> good. and fits the bill as
1: well. Yeah. Yeah. Richie, Richie was the, the, the one who worked on the team and
0: um, his thing was he, he pretty much made it clear to us I've not come here to make you fit, I've come here to make you better players I expect you to be fit to play and all this sort of thing you
1: That know? makes sense yeah. So, yeah, that's
0: fair enough, yeah, I can live with that So uh, that, that, was his, that was his thing And um, Richie didn't mind who we was upset um, He's quite an abrasive character yeah. But in terms of uh, doing his job, he was very good. He was great. Brilliant.
1: Now, uh, your time at Wolves did come to an end. Initially, before your permanent transfer to Blackburn between 1981 and 1984, you did go uh, out on loan to USA. I believe it was the New England team. And I mean, what was that experience like, Norman?
0: Well, it was... The, the the thinking behind that, uh, John Barnwell had a good friend called Arthur Smith, who was who was the agent for New England T-Men who were managed by Noel Campwell and a lovely man called Dennis Violet, who was right, one of the yeah. uh, uh, survivors of the Munich air disaster yes, in nineteen fifty eight. So that was that was how we got the introduction, but it was it was just after the eighty Cup final um, because. I haven't been out all that time with two broken legs. You want me to get some uh, fitness during the summer. Yeah. So I went out there to get fit. Um, It was was an absolutely terrific experience, but in terms of the football, I hated it. Right. I I was just a really competitive player. And uh, when we are playing out there, I mean, I played with and against all all the top names you can think of of that era, you know.
1: Oh, there were some Uh, massive names out there at that point
0: they were all there yeah, yeah. I, I played I played in midfield against New York which that was our local derby and we got a draw and I was man marking Franz Beckenbauer That's <laughs> ridiculous you know I think he was 103 at the time by the way But to be,
1: to be honest you know, he, he did a podcast last week with someone in Germany and he, he actually said that he was man marking Norman Bell, so <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure he remembers me.
1: <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I mean, and, and that's quite interesting because I know um, Colin Brazier went to the Jacksonville team, man, and I know a few yes. of the other players of that era went out to America. And I always wondered what the tedious link was, and it was clearly this agent who was who was uh, who knew John Barmel, who was sort of orchestrating the moves. Yeah, yeah. In, in
0: that case, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were quite good friends. I mean, that uh, Colin's link was the season afterwards. Um, we took the, the team out to uh, to play a game against Jacksonville team and the whole franchise had moved from Boston, so they'd, they'd moved Lock, Stock and Barrel down to Jacksonville. Yeah. And uh, we went out there and I think it was a sort of a thank you for letting me go out there and play, you know. Brilliant. Um, so we played the one game and then had about two weeks holiday. And I, I borrowed, this is another one that you wouldn't see the team do in LA's, but because we used to drive the... Um, the, the sort of 15-seater coaches and whatever to the airport in boston yeah uh, i'd ask them could i borrow the bus so we got a team bus with "Team" men written on it and I took took a, a whole gang of uh of, of wolfs players down from jacksonville down to orlando and we went to disney <laughs> so, <cool. Good. laughs> Winner. i'm pretty sure it was emblem was one colin was definitely there uh john humphreys mick hollifield a whole gang of us around uh
1: disney <laughs> yeah it certainly wouldn't happen now norman now you come back from america uh and the last stop in your career was was blackburn 81 to 84 uh, i mean yeah you know and sadly your career ended through injury um yeah i mean what injury was it uh norman and, and did you have a good time at blackburn it
0: was uh my cruciates um uh, wasn't, snapped, it wasn't the one snap was severe laxity in one and then damage in the other as well. And uh, it was at the time when they when they couldn't repair. them, basically, if your crew shirts gone, that was the end of your career. Yeah. Um, I tried hard to uh, to get back and uh, did all sorts of exercises to build up my my quads to to overcome it, but uh, it never worked. Uh, but in terms of the club, um, it was a different experience to Wolves. We not got any money at the time yeah uh jack walker you may may be familiar with that name Uh, he he was a fan of the club at the time and used to bail them out to pay bills etc and uh he built um what's called the riverside stand he paid for that uh but he hadn't taken over the club so we hadn't got a lot of money but we got a great team spirit and and it was, a, it was an old, traditional, proper football club, the same as Wolves. Yeah. Um, one of the original founders of the league. Um, so they got, you know, they got uh, a bit of history about them. We've um, got a smaller fan base, but really enjoyable to play there. And we, and we had a good side. And, um, and if I'm right, really,
1: you're still living in Blackburn now, don't you, Norman?
0: And I, well, I moved from Blackburn five years ago. Okay, uh, sorry. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm I only moved about six miles away. I'm just, I'm between Blackburn and Preston now.
1: Oh, got you, got you. And yeah. that's very interesting about Jack Walker because it's similar to, to Wolves in the 90s when obviously Sir Jack Hayward took over, who was yeah. a lifelong fan. And we all know the story there. And I didn't know Jack he used to bail him out in the in the early 80s neither. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, they, they, used, they used to get the... Uh, the red bills coming through for the electric, you know, threats to cut the electric off, and they would all sort of chip it, chip in together and uh, wow. and pay the bills. The story goes, and Bob Saxton was our manager, and he was a really, really great man. I mean, a lovely man and uh, so down to earth and honest. And he used to put his hand in his pocket and pay bills at times. You know, wow. Uh, that's that's how how, how badly off they were at the were t- at that moment, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Jack Walker he took it over and uh, developed a, an amazing training ground and uh, oh. fantastic new new ground, and of course they they had uh, the Premiership.
1: So, and to be honest, ten years after you left, which isn't a long time, uh, it was was it ninety? Oh, no, it was ninety four, ninety five. So yeah, just over ten years after after you finished, they won yeah. the Premier League, yeah. which is which yeah. is, uh, I mean, an amazing achievement. For a
0: small-town club, I mean, I know Leicester have done it now. I didn't yes. think another team would ever do it again. But you look for, for a long, long time, you look at the, the small band of clubs that have actually won the Premiership. Yes. And for Blackburn to be in amongst them, I mean, Liverpool have only just won it for the first time. Yeah, So uh, it speaks volumes, really, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, Wolves will be winning it soon, don't worry.
0: Well, I'm hoping, I was, yeah, I was looking at this season and thinking, go on, go for it boys, but, yeah, they're getting, they're getting to that point where they're starting to push, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They to look like they're going to win things again at the top oh, level, so,
1: c- certainly. still
0: got a chance this year.
1: Start getting some silverware, like in your era, Norman, now. Yeah, yeah, you, um, yeah. We've spoke about, briefly about your uncle, we'll speak about him now, because obviously you're from a footballing family, so your uncle Harry was a professional footballer and he played for amongst many clubs, uh, Middlesbrough and Darlington and your yeah. son, Andy was a, yeah. was a pro footballer and he played for, uh, well, he started at Blackburn and uh, played right. for, for Wickham and York. I mean, firstly, um, uncle Harry following in footsteps must've been great and, and you must've been so proud of your son becoming a professional footballer as well, Norman.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was a, a much better player than he still is, he's a much better player than I ever was. Okay. Uh, different style of player, but he's much more skilful, uh, terrific player. But yeah, going back to my uncle Harry as well, um, he played an awful lot of games for, for Middlesbrough, Darlington and uh, one two other local clubs, but prior to that, his father, my grandfather... Um, he was a professional with uh, South Shields, I think, when they were in the league. I think they might oh, okay. have been like, Division 3 North or whatever they had then. So, yeah, it goes, goes back um, right to my grandfather.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. And like I yeah. said, Andy, um, I believe he was in the, the youth team at Blackburn. So that that must have been obviously really proud for you as you'd represented the club as well.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was a Blackburn fan, and that's where he wanted to go. He, he, as a youth, he could have gone to Man City, who were very keen on him.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, Man United, um, but Blackburn was the one. They were they were they were keen to to build a, um, a good academy there.
1: Yeah,
0: and uh, there's a guy called Bobby Downs. Yeah, um, yeah. who's Wolf's connections and yeah. uh, um, I've forgotten Robert's name now, Robert. Was his coach? It'll come to me later. Right. He's now he's now coaching out in Germany with Uwe Rossler. Okay. He was a Wolves youngster as well. Robert Kelly. So Rob. Rob Kelly.
1: Oh yes, was Rob the, Kelly, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, he was at Wolves. Yeah.
0: yeah. So they were there. Wow. Uh, another guy, Ian Miller, who I played uh, played with at Rovers, and he was coach at Wolves as well at one time. Right. So there's a bit of a connection between the two clubs there. Brilliant. Um, and he had a good time they won the they won the uh, academy premiership yeah uh, he got to the final of the fa youth cup um he played for england school boys and then played for england up to up to uh, youth level um yeah so extremely proud of him still am i mean both my boys young norman as well who was born in Wolverhampton just before we left there okay uh, he's still playing now um into his 40th year and he still plays so he's doing well
1: oh wonderful
0: but, yeah it, i mean to that that was my life really i i i sort of based my work around football matches of course so i could get to them so what, and, what, uh, what
1: jobs did you do after football norman
0: it would take you take me too long to tell you them all but basically <laughs> I, went, I went honestly i was i was uh, i was moving on a 12 monthly basis for a while right but, uh, i went into sales i was uh, started off in insurance yeah then i worked for um uh kp um selling crisp nuts and biscuits yeah um yeah that's united united biscuits yeah um then i was closed circuit television ended up with initial um right, by a big yeah. company um then imported hardware um Knobs and knockers, basically door handles, you
1: know, letter plates, that sort of thing. And and is he, you know I'm I'm sure for for players who've played more recently that, that don't need to work again after football. You know mm. that the transition isn't as bad. But then obviously you know it's a it's a working class profession if you like. What was the transition like for you, Norman? You know, one minute you're scoring goals in front of 30,000 people and and there's no disrespect to this, by the way, but the next minute you're selling peanuts. You know, is there a a bit of a decadence, a fall from grace, is it, you know, or or, or is it just... It was hard. It was
0: mentally so difficult, to be honest. Uh, I mean, at the time because I'd got a contract at Blackburn and I assumed, right, I'll either sign another contract here or I'll move on after three years. Yeah. We bought a house, took on a mortgage. Yeah. Um, we, we got uh, one baby and then uh, Susan was uh, expecting our second at the time I had to finish, in fact, and he was born in the February that I finished at Rovers, so we got two babies to look after. Wow. Um, and no money coming in, so, you know, it, it was a bit of a although I'd, I'd gone to a grammar school up in Sunderland and my parents had insisted that, that I stayed there and got my O-Levels. I did get my O-Levels and did quite well academically. I did as much as I needed to do. Brilliant. But that was it, you know. I'd, I'd, t- I'd started taking my coaching badge at Wolves
1: yeah.
0: with uh, Hibby and John McCall. We, d- we did it together and John Richards. Um, so, you know, at least I'd, I'd, got, I'd made a start there. But I was too young and I didn't have the contacts in football to get... Back into it to yes. you know to get to the level where where I'd, I'd need to be to be earning. So uh, that was that wasn't really going to happen. Um, so yeah, it was it was a difficult time. And uh, the one thing I'd got was that as a, as a footballer, you you got to work hard. If You didn't work hard, you didn't get the contract. You didn't get in the team.
1: Yeah,
0: and that that was the work ethic I'd got. So I took that into uh, into my work. And uh, found that a lot of people just thought, well, you know, what are you doing that for? Just, just do the minimum you can. Yeah. But I wanted, I wanted to get to the top. I wanted to start earning properly again. And um, I actually ended up uh, after after just a few years, probably about five years, getting a job back in Wolverhampton, and I was uh, export. Working in export with a company called James Gibbons, which would have meant to move back to Wolverhampton.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so I was traveling with them, and I, so I spent four weeks in the Middle East on one trip, and it uh, just absolutely burnt me out. And of course, I got the two kids at home, and I uh, just spoke to Susan. I said, That's really, really get me down this. Yeah. And she said, Well, we don't have to go back to Wolverhampton. I'm quite happy here, you know, really. And I said, oh, right. So on the Monday, I resigned and started my own business. Okay. And, uh, that worked out quite well, really.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Now, Norman, if there's one abiding memory um, of your time at our great club, Wolverhampton Wanderers, you know, if there's one memory that you look back on and it always makes you smile and always always cheers you up, what, what memory is it, Norman?
0: Well, in all honesty, it is winning that League Cup in 1980.
1: Wow, And that's, uh, that's very selfless of you to say on the basis that you know you 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 couldn't blame the game.
0: It was it was absolutely massive, and I saw in one of our get-togethers, uh, George Berry, um, somebody had some photographs, and I saw this picture, and it was me sort of jumping on George Berry at the end of the game, you know, and I looked happier than any of the players, you know, <laughs> and I can remember it was just um, all my family went down to the game, and. Yeah, the only downside to that was they shipped us all back to Wolverhampton to the Mount Hotel that night. Yeah, got back got back after the party, really. You know, yeah, um, we didn't celebrate it in the right way, but uh, it's an experience. And then the open top bus as well around Wolverhampton wow absolutely amazing it was fantastic
1: I mean we we spoke about that at the Mount which was funny because we had obviously the 40 year anniversary at at the Mount Hotel and obviously after you'd won the League Cup there was a bit of a spread on but it was almost like there wasn't expecting Wolves to win it because there wasn't much of a celebration was there
0: not really, no, no. I was, uh, but just just backpedaling on that one a little bit. Yeah. This, um, I was talking to some of the lads, and they couldn't really remember this. But after the game, after every being showered and changed, and uh, we were, were meeting some people. Uh, might may well have been the Ladbrooks Hotel, where, but it was a hotel just down Wembley Way. We were meeting there to have a few drinks, and they get on the coach and go back to Wolverhampton. And I remember. All of us kitted out in our <laughs> in our Wembley suits, which which was a uh, uh, an Adidas tracksuit top, grey trousers. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, a grey shamrock I'm not even sure if we had a tie, but we didn't have a suit. You know, it was all sort of kit that we're given. Yeah. Uh, and we're all jogging down Wembley Way with the cup. Wow. And, I mean, it's just such a memory for me that I think, how, yeah, this is just not real. It's, I can't, I can't think that clubs would ever do this. Yeah, so we, we jogged all the way down Wembley Way. There were no fans left by this time. It was yeah, just you know, a few stragglers, just us lot uh, jogging down there with a cup cheering away.
1: <laughs> and once again, it, it wouldn't happen now, Norman. But listen, <laughs> listen, Norman. It's been a, a thoroughly enjoyable interview. It's been, it's been great speaking to you. Thank you for representing our great club. Now fewer than a hundred times and twenty-four goals. You know, a one in four. Uh, goal scoring ratio he's fantastic at any level and I know you were substitute quite a bit and with the injuries as well that's a fantastic record so thanks for coming on the Wolf Whistle today Norman we do hope to have you back on the podcast soon and thank you for your time
0: Jason it's my pleasure I'm so proud to have actually been able to to pull on that old gold shirt it really meant a lot to me so yeah thanks very much and uh, let's hope they can uh, win this cup this year
1: wow thanks Norman All right, mate see you soon hopefully thank you Cheers, bye. Bye.